Do you remember on like the uh, David Letterman show, they used to have this uh, little uh, bit called uh, stupid, stupid Animal Tricks? And they would bring in like a dog and it would like lick milk out of someone's mouth or something disgusting or their parakeet would talk or I don't remember what it was. But animals have these incredible abilities um, that we just don't have, right? I mean, human beings, I think we can only see about 30% of the sun's uh, sunlight with our, just our visual eyes. Uh, we only can perceive about uh, 170th of the spectrum of electromagnetic energy around us. Uh, but animals can exceed our sensory abilities, right? I mean, ants can lift up 50 times their own body weight. You know, bats can use sonar to find bugs. Uh, all sorts of things you could say. Bloodhounds have a ser uh, uh, the perception of smell that we just have no idea. Cats, their, their vision and their hearing. You could go on and on. I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, though, because I used to have a dog that would just bark at a wall. I don't know, you know, just like that's what dog, you know, some dogs are like that. Um, but then again, we had a cat one time. When we moved about three miles away, uh, the cat uh, disappeared. And then we searched for the cat, and where was the cat? On the front porch of our old house, uh, three miles away, and he somehow crossed Interstate 40 all by himself. So, you know, it's, an, it's incredible, right? Their abilities to do things like that. There's, like, you would think it just blows our minds. But those are animals. And in a sense, human beings are animals too. But we're glorified animals. Like, we have the ability to contemplate our own existence. Dogs can't do that. You don't see a dog in the thinker pose very often. But people, we can do that. We also can do this, use a thing called faith, where we... We can trust in our heart by a, a decision of our will to, to choose to believe in something or not. That power of choice is something that we are intrinsically given. I think it's the grace of God, actually, that, that still makes that available to us to be able to choose or not choose. Because without choosing, there is no love. So we are not just animals. We, we are glorified animals. I don't believe I came from a monkey, by the way. Sorry to offend anybody. Um, I believe that we're a little more noble than that. I believe that God created us. We're a little bit set apart. We have a different um, mannerism in who we are and how we're created. And that, that we have this ability to choose to understand and know the things of God or not. Monkeys can't do that. So there's a difference here. And... How, so the real question is, how do we come to understand more of the unseen or the spiritual world? How do we, get to, how do we develop that? Because when you read the Bible, it seems that there's a spiritual quickening that happens inside of people that the Spirit of God can do. And that's what we saw in that clip, is Jesus is saying, those that are born of the Spirit will understand more of the Spirit. Now, a lot of the Methodist church doesn't talk about this enough, but the Bible certainly does a lot in the New Testament. A lot of talk of the Spirit, obeying the Spirit. We're not under the law anymore, but we're under the Spirit. We're, we're being directed by the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus said, those who are not, those who are, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Paul would write about this, actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he says, we have not, we, and we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. 
When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. I've heard a lot of people lately say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. But that's a thing that's gone around for quite a while. But you can't actually be spiritual without knowing the Spirit of God. That, you know, I think what they're kind of saying is my spirituality is subjective. I make it whatever I want it to be. But in reality, until we know the Spirit of God in our lives, we're not truly as spiritual in the sense of the biblical meaning. It all sounds foolish to people, and they can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. So if you read Paul, you hear Jesus, they're both sort of saying there's a spiritual quickening that happens inside of people that God does. And we have that ability to choose it. And it comes from a place of humility, from a place of faith, from a place of looking, as Jesus said, up at him on the cross and being healed of our sin. And that's the beginning point. Because ultimately, you really can't make men and women good by law. We can put many more laws on the books and it won't solve the dilemma of the human condition. Academics, culture, as important as those, those things are, they don't fix the deepest needs of the human heart, which is forgiveness of sin, healing of sin. Human beings have a spiritual illness and we need to have a spiritual remedy. I mean, Jesus said, those things that are born of the flesh, they reap the flesh. Those born of the spirit, they reap the spirit. Dwight Moody said, if you have a man who's stealing nuts and bolts from a railway track, and in order to fix him, you send him to college, well, he'll come back, and then he'll steal the whole railway track. See, you can't just address the external stuff and think that it's going to fix the most deepest needs of the human heart. What has to be born of the Spirit, what's born of the Spirit, is Spirit. So, how do you do it? How do you receive this new nature? How do we receive that being a new creation in Christ? I mean, Jesus says it very profoundly, look to me, lift it up, and you will be healed of your sin. And not just healed of a snake bite, but healed of sin. This is John chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned. Isn't that good to hear? You're not condemned by God if you believe in Jesus. He does not condemn you. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. But those who do not believe are condemned already. It's almost a self-condemnation because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So the real question of the day is, how can you be healed by looking at something? How can you be healed by just looking at something? We have to back up and give it some context. Jesus is alluding to the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, as we saw in the video, the Israelites are grumbling, they're tired, they're angry. 
They don't want to eat the manna anymore, a Hebrew word that means what is this? God, we don't want what is this anymore. We're tired of it. We want to go back to Egypt and be slaves. And then as a result of their disobedience to God, they have physical ramifications for that and they start getting bit by venomous snakes. Some of them even die. And so they are dealing with the physical consequences of spiritual rebellion. Just as many people today, you'll deal with the spiritual, spiritual consequences of spiritual rebellion by rejecting God. But God in his mercy makes a way for the Israelites to be saved. He says to Moses, create a giant serpent. It would have been really big so that everyone could see it. There's lots of people that would have to see this thing. A bronze snake. Interesting that God would choose to use the thing that was killing people and then turn it around and make it the instrument of their healing. But all those that people would look at the snake, they'd be healed of their snake bites and they would live. So there's two important things here with this story. By looking at the snake, one, you're admitting your disobedience to a holy God by the look. It's not just the physical look. It's a deeper thing going on in your heart. And secondly, you're trusting in God to heal you just by the look. It's, not, it's an unseen thing that happens. You can't quantify it. You can't put it in a test tube. It's an inner choice of the will, an ability only human beings have. God could have just healed them without the bronze snake. He could have just snapped his fingers like a good Thanos in Avengers Endgame. He could have just been like, okay, you're all healed, but he didn't. God could have just healed us all from sin anyway. Jesus, why, didn't, why did Jesus have to go to the cross? Couldn't God have just gone, all good, I took care of it. There's lots of answers to that. I can't have time to answer all of that. But one is that to God and to us, choice is extremely important. Because without choice, there is no love. We would just be robots. And what it does, it provides a choice. The Israelites could, didn't have to look at the serpent if they didn't want to. And we have the cross today. You can look to the cross for healing of sin, or you, you don't. It's a choice. But that one self-humbling, God-trusting act would open you up to the healing power of God. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, do you remember all those people that God healed and he lifted up the bronze serpent and they looked and they were healed of snake bites? Now take that and multiply it times a million because I'm getting ready to do something even greater than that. I'm going to be lifted up and everyone that looks to me is going to be healed of their sin. Just simply by an admission of guilt before a holy God and a trust in God to do what he promises to do, to heal you. The salvation work of God through the cross is this cosmically profound and profoundly simple. We can easily overthink it. Now, I've probably told you this before, but when I was about 23 years old, I was the camp director at a Methodist camp called Camp Patton Springs near Franklin, North Carolina, way out in the mountains. And it's a mission camp. Youth and adults would come stay at this place, and then they'd go out during the day and build wheelchair ramps and paint houses and help people. And so the, the camp staff, our job was to coordinate all of that, but then at night we'd make worship services for the campers to engage with. And we would save our best worship service 
for Wednesday night. That's when we pull out all the stops. This is what we called power worship. This is our, our term, power worship, where we would do high production values, two six-foot ladders, hang a painter's tarp in between the ladders, and we would use a thing called an overhead projector. Who remembers those? Overhead projector with a bulb in it and a thing called transparencies. Remember those? And we would slide it onto there and we would have the words to the songs on a tarp. This was high tech for being way out in the woods. And so we would sing some worship songs. We're out in this beautiful field. But then it, we had a twist to it. Behind the tarp, there would be silhouettes that acted out the passion story of Jesus. And so you would see shadows, and we act, acted out to music. And then at just the right time, someone would pull a rope, and the tarp would fall, and someone would push, would push play on a boombox, and we'd play some song that talked about the cross, and we maybe even had a cheap strobe light blinking in the background. We really, really tried hard. And it, was, it had an impact. God used it, and some kids... It were ministered to from it, and it was a good experience for sure. And I remember one night we did it, and they all, you know, it's open-ended at the end. You can kind of just go to bed if you want to. And there was a, an adult uh, man at the back of the field still sitting there. And he was a well-established doctor, wonderful guy, great family, beautiful home, uh, successful person, great Methodist leader in his church, just a model in every possible way. And he was looking at the cross, and he had tears streaming down his cheeks. And I went and sat down next to him, and he didn't even look at me, but he kept looking forward. And he just asked one question. He said, do they understand how important this is? Do they get it? And I got what he was saying, because when I was 16, a cross is just a physical emblem. It's just a religious symbol. It didn't really mean much to me then. And if you just look at it physically with your physical eyes, yeah, it's just a cross. That's all you see. But he was really saying, do they see what it means in their heart? From faith, is it just a religious symbol lifted up? Or is it the instrument for your spiritual healing? Is it the personification of the love of God in action. It is, is either a symbol that's a waste of time, or for some it's a symbol of condemnation, or is it what it actually is as presented in the scripture, a symbol of love and a symbol of healing. So again, we go back to the question of the day. How could looking at something heal you from sin? Not just looking with your physical eyes, but with the eyes of your heart. It's like reading the Bible. Most people have a Bible in their homes. Almost everybody does. But if you just leave it there, it doesn't really mean much. But if you read the Bible with expectancy, with faith, with trusting that God's going to have a dialogue with you, it's more than just a book at that point, isn't it? But if it's just a religious symbol, a dusty book written thousands of years ago that sits on the shelf, well, it's just a book. But when you trust its promises with faith, it comes alive. It's, you, it's like you can hear the Bible, you can see the Bible all you want, but until you see it through eyes of faith, 
until you mix it with faith, then it becomes concrete in your life. It's the same with a cross, with Jesus being lifted up. If he's just merely a religious symbol, then that's all it will ever be. But if it is the instrument for the healing of the nations in the way to God and the healing of your sin, then it's a game changer. I mean, what we're really talking about here is faith. Most people in the room, I know a lot of us have faith. But somebody listening may not understand what faith actually is. Faith is not a subjective experience necessarily. I don't get to define some of the core tenets of what faith is. Faith is not just making a wish. It's not blind hope. Faith is not any of those things. We have faith in a person. We don't have faith in a what. God is not like the force of Star Wars, not some ambiguous thing. We have faith in a who, in the person of Jesus Christ. That is where the faith is directed, right? That's where our faith is directed, is toward Jesus. And not only is faith directed toward a person, but our faith is evidence of the unseen world. Again, an ability only human beings have. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. So when we gather for worship, we're providing evidence for what we cannot see. When you pray, you're providing evidence for what you cannot see. When you read your Bible and talk to God, you're providing evidence for what you cannot see. If all of this was nonsense and made up fairy tales, the church of Jesus Christ would have died a long time ago. We've heard the saying, it, the, proof is in the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Heard that before? Well, if the proof of the pudding is in the eating, then here we are at the table. We're here at the table. It's like cause and effect. I've never seen the wind, but I can see the effects of the wind on the water. And I know that the wind is real. I know the wind exists. I can't see it with my eyes, but I know it's there. I can't see the effect of the Holy I can't see the Holy Spirit, but I see his effect on my life and your life and the lives of other people he transforms. It's the unseen things in life that give life the most meaning. All the things of this earth will pass away, the physical things that we put so much time and energy into. But it's, it's hope and love and joy and humor and peace and all of these things in beauty and faith. All love is done by faith. So remember, when Jesus says, just as a serpent was lifted up in the desert and all that looked at to it was, were healed, all those that looked to me with an, an, an admission of disobedience to God and a, and a belief that God will heal them, if you do that, you will be healed of their sin. Because for all that want to know, God will freely give. And those that want to understand will be given that understanding. And those that want to be born again of the Spirit, it will be done. Just as the wind blows from here to there, it will happen. Now in our postmodern world, John chapter 3, I know some people that have a serious problem with what Jesus says. Because some people will say, well that sounds good for you, but I'll do my own thing. Or that sounds too narrow. That sounds too exclusive. So... I don't know if I agree with what he says. And that's fine, it's, it's your choice. Now, I know some clergy that believe that. That's a whole other conversation. 
But what I say to them is, is math too narrow? Are the laws in which the physical laws of nature, are those too narrow? See, if our planet has physical laws that we try to live by on the earth, flawed as they are, that we accept without consideration usually, then why would we believe there are no spiritual laws in the life to come? Why would we believe there's no spiritual justice in the life to come? I think some people believe this because it's just as Jesus said in John 3. Some may resist the light because they're having too much fun in the dark. Or at least they think they're having fun in the dark. Now, we can read words like this, Nicodemus, Jesus, and we can be like Nicodemus and answer, how in the world can this be? How in the world could I look at Christ on the cross as the atonement for my sin and be healed? How is this possible? And I love what Jesus says in the video. What does your heart tell you? What does your heart tell you? In the right posture of faith, you'll see the truth. From a place of humility, we can receive what God wants to give us. With just our physical eyes, it's just a Bible. It's just a church. It's just a cross. But with the eyes of the heart, even from our knees, from a posture of faith, it all comes alive. The author Bruce Thielman writes about going to a church in Copenhagen, a church called Church of Our Lady. And that's where he says they have great statues there called the Thorvaldsen statues. It's Jesus and the disciples all around the front of this church. He said, I walked into the church and it was very dim and I couldn't quite see. And then as I got closer, you can see these statues. And he says, they're made of cold stone, but they look like they're alive. Beautiful, uh, crafted works of art. They look like living personalities. And then, of course, in the center is Jesus standing with his arms outstretched, he said. But as I got closer to the statue of Jesus, he says, I couldn't see his eyes. So I thought, well, he must be in prayer or something in the statue. That's how they carved it. But an old man was sitting on the front pew of the church. There's a kneeler in front of the statue. And the old man said, no, no, no. You have to kneel in order to see his eyes. And he said, I knelt there in front of that statue and I looked up and I looked into the eyes. He said, I saw love and compassion and grace that melted my heart. And it was only from a statue. It was only an echo, a shadow of what is to come. And he said, it changed my life as I saw that. You have to get on your knees to see his eyes. You have to let go of your life in order to find it. You have to lay down the burden so he can pick it up. You have to let go so that you can get caught. And you have to take a step forward out of the darkness and into the light. And yes, you have to look at the cross with eyes of faith and you will be healed of your sin. So what could be weighing you down today as you look into those eyes? What burden do you carry? Or what burden do you carry for someone else that you love and care for? Jesus says, look at me on the cross and you will be healed.